Okay, so um, one of the benefits of us working our way sequentially through um, Luke's Gospel in these Sunday morning talks um, is that we end up looking at some subjects that we might not normally feel um, particularly um, drawn to. Um, and you might feel that about today's subject after hearing David announce, uh, announce the title of it um, a little bit early, earlier. Um, the title in our programme um, today is Unrepentance and Unreceptive. Um, and you might not um, feel that that sounds like the most um, appealing um, subject that we might um, have a look at. Uh, and you might also think that it doesn't sound particularly relevant to our our day-to-day um, -day lives. But before um, we all switch off, um, me, in <laughs> me included, um, I think there are things for us to learn here, or at least be uh, reminded of, things which are relevant. Because firstly, repentance is an important part of the gospel message, isn't it? The message that we have a responsibility for sharing with others. So we should know what repentance is. So it's worth uh, revising that. Um, secondly, we also know, don't we, that repentance doesn't become a done deal um, when we get saved. Something that we do once and then we're left free for the rest of our lives to do um, whatever we want. We, we should understand how um, the aftermath of our initial repentance should affect the rest of our lives. And if we've moved away from what we think we should be doing in that respect, then it's an opportunity for us to come back. Um, Thirdly, even if we are trying to follow the Lord Jesus every day, it's inevitable, isn't it, that there will be times when we don't live up to God's expectations, when we do let the Lord down. And as long as that's the case, there will always be a need for us to repent. And again and again and again. Not because our salvation's in jeopardy, but so that we can continue, us and God, continue to enjoy the relationship that he has called us um, into. And fourthly, there is also something in the passage about how we should respond when people are unreceptive to our efforts to share our, our faith uh, with them, which, as I say, is, is part of our role. So we, we can have a little look at that. Uh, there's two passages uh, we're going to look at. The first one is in Luke chapter 9. And this is an occasion when Jesus was rejected or um, was not received well. And we'll see if we can learn anything from the reaction of the Lord and his disciples um, in this. So we're in Luke chapter 9, and it's just a few verses. And we're reading from verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Okay, so that's it, just a few verses. I clearly got the short straw when it came to allocating the subjects um, in this programme. Um, it starts with a verse which is often misquoted, doesn't it? It does not say that Jesus set his face like flint towards um, Jerusalem. 
Um, however, that misquote, which is based on Isaiah 50 verse 7, um, the Isaiah scripture is talking about the confidence and determination of Jesus, of the Messiah, despite all that he had to endure. The verse says, I have set my face like flint and know that I will not be put to shame. So although there's no mention of a flint-like face in, in, in Luke chapter 9, it does have the same thought, doesn't it? He set out towards Jerusalem and everything which lay in store for him there with absolute determination and nothing was going to stop him. And the first thing that gets in his way is the, um, the region of Samaria, um, that area that many Jews would have um, avoided like the plague. <laughs> they would have gone out of their way to avoid going through Samaria because of the open hostility between Jews and Samaritans. But not Jesus. He's going straight through. Uh, he's not taking the long way around. He's not going to let anything slow him down or delay him getting to Jerusalem. And, uh, and because he wasn't going by car, and it takes a long time to walk through um, um, th th this area, uh, he needs to stay the night somewhere. And he sends on um, messengers ahead to get something ready in one of the Samaritan, one of the Samaritan villages. Uh, and as we read, he, he wasn't welcome there. Not because of his message, I don't think. It's certainly, it's certainly, we're, not, we're certainly not told it was because of his, his message. It was simply because he was a Jew. He was heading for Jerusalem, therefore, whether he knew it, they knew he was a Jew or not, they certainly assumed he was a Jew. And, and, and for that reason, um, they weren't made um, welcome. The disciples reacted quite strangely to this, didn't they? Um, they seem to have been incensed. It's almost as if they, they said to themselves or even said out loud, how dare they? How dare they reject the Lord? And um, reminiscent of something that happened in the prophet Eli Eli um, Elijah's day, we won't look at that, but what, what they were calling for, for judgment to come down on, um, from heaven to destroy destroy this village, men, women and children, because they haven't been received well. It's not surprising that the Lord Jesus sometimes seemed to be so frustrated and disappointed um, in the slowness of his disciples' ability to understand what it was all about. And the Lord rebuked them for their attitude. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and not surprisingly, because it wasn't that long ago, in fact, we were looking at this when we looked at Luke chapter 6, he had taught them that they should um, love their enemies and show and do good to those who mistreat them. And here they were calling for retribution, just because they hadn't been made welcome. And it's the same um, hostility and resentment that um, typically the Samaritans showed to the Jews. So essentially they were just continuing the vicious cycle, weren't they, that we see at the heart of so many conflicts today. And, and not just major conflicts um, between countries and ethnic groups and political allegiances, um, but also with local conflicts as well, isn't it? Even one-to-one -one conflicts. And we may be involved in those kind of conflicts, either directly 
um, we fall out or our group of friends falls out with one another group of friends or we might be just on the periphery of it a friend of a friend who's fallen out with somebody else either way we can help break that cycle um, by each of us having the right attitude towards the other party even if we feel they have the wrong attitude towards us um, and that's also true if the wrong attitude is nothing more than people being unreceptive when we try to share the, um, the gospel, share our faith with them. Um, and we probably all know that experience, don't we? Um, people not wanting to listen, um, gospel leaflets or invitations to events um, being declined, people not showing up when they said they were going to um, come along um, to something, um, people coming along just for the social or for the food. Um, or people, um, people not paying attention <laughs> during the message. How, how rude is that? Um, so you know, we, we, we can have this um, sense of, 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 of believing that a wrong attitude is justified or, um, because, we're, because we're on the receiving end of, a, of, of a, wrong, a wrong attitude. I think that's how the disciples felt and the Lord Jesus clearly was um, rebuking, rebuking them for that, isn't it? We shouldn't take, uh, I mean, just, just thinking about um, reaching out to others, trying to share the, the gospel with others, inviting people along to um, carols by candlelight or whatever it might be. When people clearly are not interested or um, maybe reject the invitation more forcibly, we should never take it as a personal rejection, should we? And we, we certainly shouldn't feel any, anything like resentment um, for, 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 you know, for, 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 for a big reason that, as we'll see in our next passage, it actually isn't us they're rejecting anyway. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the Lord. And it's for him to determine the nature of that rejection um, and the consequences, if any. It's for us to continue uh, with love and patience and kindness to continue um, reaching out or if it's in the context of another sort of conflict, uh, domestic conflict, uh, to, um, to continue patiently working with all parties, trying to um, mediate if we can. So that's, that's pretty much all I've taken out of this little passage here of the Lord Jesus being, uh, not, being, um, not being received. Um, let's go to the second passage now. Um, that's in Luke chapter 10. Now, we're missing a few verses out. You'll notice over these last few weeks, the subjects have been grouped more around themes in these few chapters. Um, so we're, we're, chop we're moving around a little bit. We are covering everything. Um, but the next few verses of chapter 9, I think we did that a couple of weeks ago. And um, the beginning of chapter 10, I think David Woods is covering that next week. So we're going to just jump straight in at verse 13. Again, I think David looked at these verses and thought, well, I'm not covering them, I'll give them to Ian. Um, because <laughs> when you look at them, you'll see how, how, um, how, how stimulating they are. We're reading from verse 13. Woe to you, it says, the Lord Jesus speaking. Woe to you, Chirazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. And now the Lord Jesus speaking back to his disciples, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, 
rejects him who sent me. Okay, so that's, the, um, that's our second passage. What was significant about um, Chirazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? Uh, Capernaum? Well, Capernaum had become the Lord's hometown. It was his adopted base of, 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 of operations. And the other places were just nearby. The significance of these places is that they had more opportunity than anyone else to hear the Lord's teaching and see the many miracles that he performed that attested um, to his true identity. And he contrasts them, these Jewish towns, with all of this opportunity and, and, and blessing, essentially, with the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon, two cities which God had destroyed um, many, many years before uh, because of their continued their continued wickedness and Jesus is saying if these Gentile cities had seen all of this evidence and heard all of this teaching they would have repented in other words notwithstanding the wickedness of Tyre and Sidon and that's you know the, the God had to judge judge that um, but notwithstanding that the Lord seems to be saying that for the sin of knowingly rejecting God Tyre and Sidon were actually more culpable. They were more guilty because they had, sorry, were less guilty, less culpable because they had less knowledge, less understanding of the things of God. So my point here is simply that, um, as Jesus said in verse 14, although we all know um, Romans 6 and 23, the wages of, of sin is death, um, the consequences of sin will not be the same for everyone. And one of the determining factors appears to be the extent to which a person knowingly rejects God. Those people who have received more revelation, who have more knowledge, who reject the gospel simply because they don't want to change, they may be judged more harshly than those who never hear the gospel at all or are unable to grasp it for, uh, for, for, other, for other reasons. Or put it another way, in some circumstances, it may be better to be an unbeliever than a believer who rejects God's way. And there are believers like that. James talks about them, doesn't it? Check out James 2 and 19. Believing the facts, even believing the facts about Jesus Christ and his identity and what he came to do, believing all of that information does not, is not saving faith. James said even the demons believe all of that. That's not saving faith. The person who believes in the context of John 3 and 16, which we quote so often, all you have to do is believe. The person who believes in, 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 in the way that saves is the person who is willing in the light of all that they believe about Jesus and their need to be saved is the person who is willing to change. And this is where the subject of repentance comes in. So what is repentance? Well, should we say, um, say for starters that it's not saying sorry? Um, from the time that we learn to talk, we spend most of our lives saying sorry, don't we? Either because we've been told to say sorry, 
And my mum used to say this to me all the time, say sorry to your sister. You know, so <laughs> we're, we're told to say sorry, and we, so we say sorry reluctantly. Um, it's not that. Um, or um, we might have offended somebody, and uh, we just want to avo avoid an argument or a scene, so we kind of you know, say sorry just to take the heat out of the situation. Um, or sometimes um, it's when people have done something wrong, and they're not really sorry about the impact on the other person or people. They're just sorry. It's self-pity. They're sorry on the about the consequences for themselves. So that's, it's, it, we're not thinking about being sorry in, in, in that sense. And, and also, it's not being sorry in the sense that um, we seem to have this habit in this country um, of saying sorry when we've done nothing wrong. You know when somebody bumps into you and you, say, and you say sorry? It's kind of like this weird thing, isn't it? You know, um, we, we, we say sorry when it's not even, even our fault. So we're not talking about saying um, sorry here. I think we actually get a, a better idea of the correct meaning of repentance. If we go to the French, um, you know, putting Brexit aside for a moment, let's just uh, take a little bit of help from the French. The French for I'm sorry, um, je suis désolé, it's an expression I use quite a lot in France, mainly because of my rubbish um, ability to speak in French. Um, je suis désolé. If you look up the meaning of the word desolate, you kind of get a better idea of, of, of what we really mean by um, repentance. Or, Look at 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 11. I'm not going to turn it up now. But it talks about the sorrow that should lead to repentance. It talks about a deep, earnest sorrow and a readiness to put things right. So it's a lot more than just saying sorry, isn't it? Uh, in, especially given all the ways I just mentioned when uh, we say sorry very insincerely. Actually, the Greek word, which is translated as repentance here um, in the New Testament, just means to think differently uh, or to reconsider. Now, I don't think that tells us very much. I mean, I think differently all the time. I'm always changing my mind, and I wouldn't call that repentance. Um, but it is linked to another Greek word. Apologies if it sounds like I'm giving you a, a Greek lesson here. I, I don't intend to, but um, I looked up the meanings of the original Greek word and then the word from which it comes. And this other word from which it comes means a little more. It means to exercise the mind, to comprehend, to perceive something, to understand. Now, there's still no mention of sorrow there, but at least we can see that it's not something that should be done frivolously. Uh, it's prompted by a serious change of perspective. I suppose it's a little bit like the, um, the meaning of the old saying, marry in haste, repent at leisure. Um, I mean, we, I think we actually quote that and change the words for, for, in all sorts of um, ways, you know, jump in haste, repent at leisure. But it, it comes from that old, um, that, that was the original saying, marry in haste, repent at leisure. I googled if there was a definition for that, and it, it is, and it, it just says that marrying someone without knowing them very well may lead to a whole life of regrets. Uh, it's that idea, isn't it, when the rose-tinted spectacles um, are removed, when the couple each get a different perspective on each other, then sometimes you know, the marriage can run into difficulty 
because they realize actually, you know what, we're not really very compatible. We don't even like each other very much. Why on earth did we get married? It happens. Um, but it's that thought, marry in haste, repent at leisure. We're thinking about repentance. But even that doesn't really convey the proper meaning of repentance, I don't think, as it's used in the Bible. We can see that it involves a serious change of mind about something. But it's about what? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word um, that's often used means to turn. Um, the context usually being the need for the people to turn from idols and other wickedness and to turn from something bad to turn back to, to God. And, and likewise, when Paul was explaining his uh, mission to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. It's, it's two sides of the same coin, I think. You can't stop doing one thing unless you fully embrace the thing which is to take its place. Um, now, no one changes anything unless they have a motivation to do so, do they? And I think that's where we really start to get to the heart of what repentance is. Yes, it's, it does involve turning, but it's not just the turning from one thing to another. It, it's the why. It's the why that makes us change. Um, the change of perspective, the... the, the the, the realization that we're that, that we're doing something um, that what we have been doing or what we are doing is 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 is, is very wrong. It, the understanding that we have to change course before it's too late. It's 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 that change of perspective that also motivates. It answers the why we want to change. And when it comes to the Christian message, it's about replacing that self-focused perspective with a God-focused perspective, isn't it? It's, it's understanding how offensive and upsetting our sins are to the God who loves us. And therefore, it's about, the, in the light of that, committing to change and committing to live God's way. And I think that's all implied in John 3 and 16, in that little word, believe, those two little words, believe on. It's not believe in, it's whoever believes on um, God's son. Uh, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. So uh, Peter was, uh, in what he was saying, the identification with Jesus and the commitment to follow that we, that we get in the lovely picture of, of, of baptism was directly associated with their salvation experience, which Peter just uses the word repent for, repent and be baptised. Likewise, in Acts uh, 3, he calls on the people to repent and turn to God. I think sometimes we overuse or overplay the, the littleness of what it takes to get saved. The idea that we just believe in Jesus, easiest thing in the world. I remember someone giving ministry once saying, you know, it's so easy. It takes less effort than it takes to blink an eye because um, all you've got to do is believe. But I would, I suppose with time, I've rethought whether that's really quite right. I think it takes a lot to get saved because it's not just a, 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 a thought. It's not just, it's not just the, um, the believing in the facts. It's, 
It's the commitment to do something about it. It's the repentance that comes with that. Now, we sometimes wonder, I know, about the children and other adults who come to faith as part of their upbringing in Christian homes. Um, those who can't recall an exact moment when they were so overwhelmed with the sinfulness of their life that they felt compelled to um, change direction. And I think the same also applies to many other people who become aware of their need of the Saviour and they, they, they understand and realise that their best is not good enough, no matter how good, many good works that they do, that it will never be good enough. Um, there are people in that scenario, but they don't have a life that is so terrible that they're overwhelmed with feelings of guilt and uh, uh, that, that they, they feel that they need to bring, uh, that they need to, bring to um, the cross. So what does a repentant person actually look like? How can you and I know um, if we are repentant in the sense that our salvation requires? Well, there is a sense that the person who is truly repentant is constantly uh, turning away from sin and towards God, isn't it? Every time we resist temptation, every time we don't conform to the pattern of this world, every time we sacrifice the things that we want to do in order to do what God wants to do, every time that we put God, God first, there is that sense that we are living continually in, a, in an act of repentance. Uh, and I'll explain that by, by quoting um, Paul when he preached to King Agrippa, um, the verse that I quoted earlier. Uh, he went on to say, the, the full verse, he preached that they, this is Paul said that he had preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's the, the ongoing nature of repentance. That's the living in the aftermath of repentance that I said at the beginning. Repentance is, is like what James says about faith. If it's real, then it should be evident in how we live our lives now, in the choices that we make day to day. So it doesn't matter if you or I can recall an exact point in time when we felt overwhelmed with repentance for our sins and we came to the Lord because I'm sure there are some of you who are in that situation and certainly I mean I was I was saved at the age of six years old I can recall the events but I can't really say that I felt overwhelmed with 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 an awful lot of grief for uh, my, my, my sinful life I hadn't done much by the age of by the age of six so um, I don't think it matters if you're in that situation, because it's what we do every day that demonstrates whether we are truly a repentant um, sinner. And if we uh, go back just to living for ourselves and doing the things that God wants, um, not doing the things that God wants us to do, which includes our service in the church, our deeds day to day, our, 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 our behavior, our attitudes towards God and towards others, if we, if we stop doing the things that we ought to do, um, if we don't change, well, remember the challenge from the Lord Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Revelation 2 verse 5, he said, Consider how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, the special designation that 
any church might have as a, a church of God, uh, something which is about how God sees the church, not necessarily how the members of the church, um, that special designation can be removed by the Lord if the members of that church are living lives that clearly demonstrate a lack of a lack of repentance, a lack of love for the Lord, a, a, a falling away from that initial commitment that we made to follow. So let me just try and summarise um, what I've been saying. Um, I've found it a, a, sl- a difficult couple of passages really to, um, to, 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 to say something about, but I've, I've tried to make some sense of it, at least to me, and I hope I've managed to communicate that in some way to you guys. Um, but the first point is that I made earlier. We have a role, don't we, um, in sharing the gospel with others. And it's an important role. It says in Romans 10 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them. Now, this, is a, this has not been the focus of what I've been saying, but just underlines that we have an important role. We need to do this. And more often than not, we will experience some kind of rejection, whether it's just disinterest or whether it's something a little bit more forcible. Um, people will not be receptive always to what we want to say. And I think there is a lesson in that first passage about how we graciously just accept that, knowing that they're rejecting God if they're, reje- if they're consciously rejecting anything, they're rejecting God, not ourselves. And if it is just about disinterest or lack of time or inability to focus because they've got something else going on, we just need to be patient and loving and, and carry on, on with that. But that passage in Romans 10 tells us something else. It acknowledges that some people may never hear the gospel or they may never hear it preached to them adequately. And Jesus differentiated between people who had, who had more or less excuse for not repenting. And whilst we do not know what that will mean at the judgment, as Abraham said in Genesis 25, the judge of all the earth will do right. Remember the judgment, the end of time's judgment is not a sentencing. Well, there is a sentencing that goes with the judgment, but it's, it's first and foremost a judgment when God, the righteous judge, will judge. And we can't... Um, we, we, are, we have no license from Scripture to make any conclusions about how God will judge those who have not come to Christ in the way that we have. But there is some reassurance for the many who no doubt will um, stand before that judgment, having never heard, having heard the word of Jesus, the name of Jesus, that God will judge them according to what they knew and what they didn't know and how they lived their, how, how they lived their lives, I believe. Um, And then the fourth point uh, is just about repentance. Um, I think that's the one I've said most about. It's more than just saying sorry. It is a change of heart and it should be demonstrated in the way that we live our lives, shouldn't it? Um, In one sense, we should always be living uh, as if we just got saved. Now, it might be hard to replicate the excitement or the joy of just getting saved, but that original commitment, that determination, if that's not too strong a word that we had, that we were, going to, we were going to behave differently as a result of getting to know Jesus Christ as our saviour. And every time since that we've re- reminded ourselves that that's what we're about, that's what we've committed to do, 
Um, in that sense, we should always be living as if we've just got saved. Um, but if we fall from that, and, and we may, we should go back to Revelation 2 and recognise there could be a need still for us to repent in our day-to-day -day experience. Um, repent and turn back to God. It's, it's, it's quite a challenge, I think, that, uh, that passage in Revelation 2. So we'll leave it there. Let's, um, let's just have a final prayer.